We're in the book of Revelation. We're at chapter 14. Most chapters in the Bible don't need an introduction. But this chapter will need an introduction. Now, the book of Revelation is easy to find. It is between the book of Jude and your everlasting future. It's the last book in your New Testament. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Going to read five verses. Don't know exactly how far we'll get today, but this is an exciting chapter. It says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Did you know there's music in heaven? And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Let me stop right here and tell you, if you're going to learn heavenly songs, you've got to learn them on earth first. You're going to learn, if you're going to learn heavenly songs, you've got to learn them on earth first. Because the songs that we receive are through the glory of God. Verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women. For they are virgins, these are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. I want to use for a subject this morning the 144,000. May be seated. We're going to be looking at the 144,000. Do you know what 144,000 is? It's 144,000. I'm amazed how many Bible commentators don't know what 144,000 is. Some believe it's just a big number that really doesn't mean anything. Well, if that's the case, give me your big number of $100 bills and if it don't matter about the number, I'll just take the wad of bills you got. You say, you're out of luck. I only got some $1 bills. You're, you're better off than I am, by the way. I barely got two quarters to rub together. So there you are, just talking about money. <laughs> That's not what I'm referring to. The 144,000, there's a lot of questions about this 144,000. And um, there's different ideas, different thoughts. Some believe that 144,000 is just a big number that means, you know, whatever. From the beginning of the creation to now. Some believe it's just an expanded number that is from the beginning of Pentecost, the church, until now. But if you're like me, I just believe the Bible for what it says. It's 144,000. It's not 143,000. It's not 142,000. If it's just a big number, why didn't the Bible just say 1,000? If it's just a big number, why didn't he just say 100? If it's just a big number, why didn't he just say uh, around 144,000 or around a trillion? Now, I 
want to say today that there are a lot of misconceptions about the 144,000. In fact, there is a religious group that believe that they, uh, their people in their church are the 144,000. They've excelled several million past that. They believe that 144,000 of the best Christians will go to heaven and you losers will stay on earth in the Garden of Eden. How many know I don't want to be part of a church like that? I want to be part of a church that's winners. Amen? Victors. And then there's um, Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science. Now, the thing about it is it's neither Christian nor science. It's kind of like grape nuts, neither grapes nor, you know, nuts. And they've got it so garbled up that the 144,000, you just take a guess and run with it. We got too many people taking a guess and running with it. Amen? Then there's Helen White, founder of the Seven-Day Adventist, which believed that the 144,000 was stimulated through Helen White, and she would create this 144,000 And if you'll be a very good person, you might be accounted among the 144,000. All kinds of crazy ideas. Probably the most crazy idea that I hear about the 144,000 is, well, it doesn't matter. It's just a number. Well, it matters if I'm going to be in that number or not. Amen? And so the 144,000 is a... Well, let me just share with you some possibilities. There's only three possibilities for the 144,000. You say, well, preacher, there's hundreds of, hundreds of ideas about 144,000. Well, there's only three possibilities. And I'm going to share with you those three possibilities concerning the 144,000. The first possibility is the 144,000 in this chapter 14 are the same as in the seventh chapter of Revelation. That the 144,000 are the same in this chapter as they are in chapter seven. The second possibility is that 144,000 are in heaven with the Lord here in this chapter 14. But they were on the earth in chapter seven. And then the third possibility is there are two 144,000 men. Two 144,000 groups. And those are the only three possibilities that are real, that, that we could give an intelligent belief in or to look at. The 144,000 in this chapter, um, many believe that they are the same as chapter 7. Now we know that it's a literal 144,000 because in chapter 7 there were 12,000 taken from each tribe of Israel. We know according to the seventh chapter of Revelation, God is about to bring judgment upon the earth. Four angels hold back the winds of judgment. These 144,000 called out of 12,000 out of every tribe of Israel are sealed with the seal of God, and they are in guaranteed safety through the great tribulation. Now, I believe personally that the 144,000 in chapter 7 
are the same as the 144,000 in chapter 14. I believe they are the same. But there are some things we need to look at that's real important. First of all, how, how did they get off the planet in chapter 7 and in heaven in chapter 14? Or are they in heaven in chapter 14? Are they? We're going to answer those questions. Are they in heaven in chapter 14? There's all kinds of different ideas about it. They think that the 144,000, well, they died and they went to heaven. Well, that's kind of contrary to the seal of God on them. They had the protection of God. If you got the seal of God on you, you're not going to get killed. Amen? And so... Uh, they obviously didn't die. So if you're going to say that the 144,000 in chapter 14 is in heaven, then you've got to say, well, they had to be raptured or they had to be caught up to the throne of God. And that's where you get into the belief in chapter 12 of Revelation that the man-child is the 144,000 and is caught up into heaven, into the presence of God. But I believe the man-child in Revelation chapter 12 is Jesus Christ. And when he arose from the grave, he was caught up into heaven after raising from the grave after three days and three nights, and Jesus sits on the right hand of God the Father today. And um, chapter 12 is a parenthetical chapter of Revelation. Say, what is a parenthetical chapter? It means it's kind of like parentheses. Put a parenthesis on this. Well, chapter 14 is also a parenthetical chapter. Actually, chapter 14 is pretty much this. All hell's breaking loose on planet Earth. The Earth is in convulsions. The beast, the first and the second beast are risen up in chapter 13. There's the mark of the beast. The economy is corrupt. The mark of the beast, no one can buy or sell. There's plagues that are running rampant on, on the planet. A third of the planet has already been killed. The world is on fire and politicians are running. Everything is disastrous. And in the middle of this disastrous situation, God sends up a flare of good news. That's chapter 14. God flash forwards for us Good news coming, good news coming, Babylon's fallen, good news coming, obey God, keep his commandments, good news coming, God's coming, the Lord's coming down, he's going to take Mount Zion, redeemer of a planet earth. And so let's look at these different interpretations of a 144,000, and once again, if you think it's just a number, then why not some other number? And why was there great detail, 12,000 out of each tribe in chapter 7? Kind of tells me that it's actual numbers. Now, let's look for a minute as to where these 144,000 are. You, you have the possibility of the 144,000 being the same as in chapter 14, the same as chapter 7, which I believe that is true. Then you have the question, are these 144,000, are they in heaven with the Lord or are they here on earth? The question, are they in heaven or on the, are they on earth? And then you have the question, well, is the 144,000 in chapter 7 even the same as the 144,000 in chapter 14? 
Now, I'm not really doing that to make you confused, even if some of you are rolling your eyes. But I want to point out some things that, that really has ministered to me, because I do believe that chapter 14 is a flash forward. It is good news. It, God has given everybody another chance. How I many know God gives everybody a chance? There are preachers that will tell you, well, bless God, when the Lord comes, no one can get saved. That's not true. There'll be the greatest revival this planet has ever experienced after the church has been taken home. There'll be the greatest revival that you've ever, ever, uh, any man has ever conceived of during the great tribulation. Literally millions of people will turn to the Lamb of God and be saved. God gives people chance after chance after chance after chance. Some of you are sitting in this auditorium right now because God gave you chance after chance after chance after chance. Some of you are alive right now because God gave you chance after chance after chance after chance. Thank God for a God that's more than even a second chance. He's a God of many chances. See, God doesn't want anyone in this room to go to hell. He wants everybody to be saved and redeemed by his son, Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. God loves the world. God redeems us through the blood of Christ. And God will save anyone as long as they've got even one half of a dying breath in their body. When someone turns to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ changes their life, God snatches them from the fire. And he gives them eternal life. Now this 14th chapter is just that. We're seeing a picture of the 144,000 on Mount Zion. The spell S, Zion, or Zion. And anywhere you look at Scripture in the Bible, hundreds of Scriptures always refer to Jerusalem as Mount Zion. And just as there are spiritual things in, in the heaven, there are spiritual things in the earth. For instance, the Ark of the Covenant on earth was also in heaven. For instance, the tabernacle on earth was also in heaven. For instance, what you see on earth is pretty much a blueprint of what is actually in heaven without flaw or blemish or any such thing. So we understand that God is sending a signal in the worst of times God wants to save. In fact, he sends out three angels here in this 14th chapter, and this is kind of the introduction. He sends out three angels, and one angel is flying in the sky. He's flying in the sky, and his mouth is shouting, and he's saying in verse 6, in the midst of heaven, he has the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to, to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice. I don't know about you, but if an angel showed up with a quiet voice, it would stir me. But saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and the earth, the sea and the fountains of water. Here you have an angel that's flying to the heavens, preaching the everlasting gospel, telling everyone, fear God, turn to God who created the heavens and the earth, turn to the real God, fear God, 
Give your life to God. And God is doing that because he's about to literally pulverate and destroy the planet with his wrath. God is just about ready to come down on Mount Zion and down into the valley and down into the battle of Armageddon. He's about ready to wrap it all up. The seven bold judgments are about ready to be poured out. And God sends an angel flying through the sky. Now, you say, is that a literal angel? I think so. I think if you try to spiritualize that, you're going to end up with, with um, Christian television saying, well, it's a satellite going over our head. Well, I have to say this real quickly. Satellites don't fly in the sky. They're in space. And this angel flies through the atmosphere, the hemisphere. He drives, uh, flies across the hemispheres, and he preaches with a loud voice, fear God. He preaches in every language known to man. You say, well, what about the, 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 the unsaved native in foreign jungle somewhere? Well, they'll hear him. Everybody will hear it. No one leaves this planet without God's voice speaking to them sometime during their life. And so the angel flies to the heavens and says, you need to fear God. The sad thing about it is there'll be literally thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people that won't pay a bit of attention to the angel flying to the heavens. You say it's supernatural. I know, but they'll be under the grip of a supernatural delusion. For God will send a delusion that they'll believe a lie and there'll be, world, there'll be people on planet earth that won't turn to God even at the last moment, they'll curse God and die and plunge into the fires of hell. People will say no to God. You know, I'm amazed how many people say no to God today. I'm just, you know, I'm shocked. After 2019, 2020, 21, 22, after all the crazy things that are going on, I'm shocked that anybody would just say no to God. I'm absolutely I'm absolutely just astonished. I'm, my head is spinning. I'm dizzy. My head's spinning. That there are so many people on planet Earth that they're not concerned about their eternal soul. This world is on a powder keg of a Putin bomb. Say, so what is a Putin bomb? Well, I hope we'll never know. But I want you to understand that there will be nuclear blasts. There will be fallout. There will be disease, there will be starvation, there will be great horrific things. And you say, well, I think that's in the future. Come on, wake up. Wake up. We're right on the verge of all this. You say, well, I don't like to hear that stuff. It makes me feel sad. Well, then you need to feel glad because God cares enough for mankind to send an angel flying to the heavens, preaching the everlasting gospel. He's trying to get everybody saved. God's trying to get everybody saved. Why? Because God's about to come down to the Mount of Olives on the second coming of Jesus Christ. The mountain's going to cleave to the east and to the west. Uh, there'll be an open valley from the north to the south. There'll be a flood flowing through that valley, the valley of Megiddo and down into Hebron uh, 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 Spring, uh, turning blood red. Actually, they say it turns black with all the bloodshed as it flows into the Hebron water. But nonetheless, God is about to do something dynamic and powerful, and he sends an angel and says, go down there and warn them. Go down there and warn them. 
And with a loud voice, the angel warns, fear God. Then God says, that's not enough. Angel number two, get down there and tell them Babylon has fallen. Get down there and fly to the heavens and with a loud voice, cry, Babylon is fallen. Verse 8, it's fallen, that great city, because she has made nations drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, in chapter 17, you have religious Babylon. In chapter 18, you have the economic or the economy Babylon, the, the political uh, Babylon. And both the religious and the economy Babylon, the commercial Babylon, will collapse. And God sends warning by an angel, it is falling. Babylon is falling, that great city, because of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then God says to a third angel, get down there. Number three, get down there. Number third angel, sent by God. And number three comes down in verse nine, and boy, his message is hot and heavy. His message is rough and tough. And the third angel followed them, verse 9, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, nor uh, who worship the beast in the image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So this angel just gives an indictment. If you take the mark, if you don't turn to God, if you don't receive uh, God's forgiveness, if you take the mark of the beast, you're doomed, and you're doomed to burn in hell forever. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever and ever. You say, well, preacher, I don't believe it's forever and ever and ever. Well, the same word used forever and ever and ever for the, for the fires of hell and the smoke of their torment, it's the same word used for ever and ever and ever for heaven and for God. You can't have it both ways. Uh, you know, you can't say, well, it's one way and then it's another way. You've got to understand that when the smoke ascends forever and ever, you know, I'm a country boy and I know this, if smoke's going to ascend forever and ever, something at the bottom has got to be burning forever and ever. I mean, I'm just a country boy. I watch a brush pile burning, smoke goes up. If that brush pile's gone, the smoke quits going up. Hello? So I don't believe in eternal existence. Really? Scientists today tell us that nothing is just vanished. Nothing just goes away. Nothing just disappears. Nothing goes away. In fact, this altar, in the form it is, before it was a little sapling tree. In the form it's in, it was a tree. It was cut down. It was formed by man, some glue, some, some expertise put the altar together. But if you burn this altar, I mean, you can throw it in the trash. It's still an altar. The material to make it was there. You could burn this altar, and scientists tell us, even if you burn this altar where it totally disappears, the molecules that created this altar still exist. They are eternal. Everything in this room is eternal. It may change its form. It may change its status. It may change its, 
its development, but everything is made up of molecules, of atoms, and nothing ever ceases to be. Amen? Like I had a guy tell me one time, well, I'm not afraid of God. When I die, I'm just going to be cremated and God will never find me. He said, yeah, when I die, I'll just be cremated and I'll have my wife just sprinkle me across Lake Tahoe and God will never find me. I said, you poor pathetic fella. I said, God knows every molecule you've been made out of and besides that, God don't need your ashes. God just needs you and he'll find you. Amen? Oh, I never thought of that. I said, you're thinking it in the means, you know, that... that God's going to get a hold of you in, in your condi- present condition. No, he's going to get a hold of you whatever condition you're in. At the end, judgment's going to come. Amen? Come on. I said, come on. That's a way to treat a guy that's been sick. Sympathy, sympathy going here. And the angel preaches a hellfire and brimstone sermon flying to the heavens, all because God wants to tell the world, you got another chance. I'm getting ready to crush everything, and I'm giving you another chance. Fear me. Turn to me, the creator of heaven and earth. Listen to the everlasting gospel, which is, by the way, not a new gospel and not a different gospel. It's the same gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sends another angel that says, don't take the mark. Don't sell your soul. Listen to God and don't be damned. He sends that angel, that second angel, Babylon the greatest fallen. Now, everybody in this room needs to understand something about Babylon. You think, well, Babylon's just way over there somewhere. Well, you've got to understand that Babylon is also the beginning of Babel, the Tower of Babel, Nimrod. Babylon is also the place of Shinar where Zechariah said that a woman was taken to her base and there a a woman of evil waiting for the rise of Babylon in Shinar. But you need to understand that the whole thing is about economy. It's a commercial thing. Why else would he say you got to have a mark to buy and sell? It's about commercial. It's about economy. That's why the Antichrist said you've got to have a mark to buy or sell. It's about economy. And not only that, he's going to tell everybody now that we've got them fanatical, crazy, I mean, absolutely unreasonable Christians out of here. Let's all get together and have our own celebration in religion. You know, Somebody said, they won't even miss us when we're... I think there's a song, they won't even miss us when we're gone. Yes, they will. Amen. I'd love to just moisten my lips when I'm in heaven. I'd love to just get my whistle going and allow the Lord to let me stick my head out of the cloud down on earth and say, miss me now? Do you miss me now? And so God is about to bring his judgment. Here's what he says in verse 12, 13, and I preached on this Wednesday night. Here is the patience of the saint. That's the perseverance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. God has given them encouragement. He's saying to them, if you don't take the mark, if you turn to me, I'll give you patience, perseverance. I'll bring you through this. And when you do die physically, blessed are they that die, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Now let me quickly say this. Their labors is not the same as their works. Too many of us think the labors is the same as the works. It's not. The whole earth labors. Children labor. Women labor in giving birth to their children. Raising children is labor. Pressure in life is labor. People's minds labor. The whole creation labors and groans and travails for the liberation that only Jesus Christ can bring. I know people that labor in their mind. They struggle every day of their life. They struggle because their mind's always at war with them. They labor in their words. They labor in their thoughts. Children labor. Adults labor. Teenagers labor. I'm not talking about labor such as hauling hay or cutting wood. I'm talking about the labor of life. Storms and trials and adversaries trying to make a living, trying to get through life, going through just hard times. It's labor. And God is trying to tell all them that are laboring through the great tribulation, laboring through starvation, laboring through abandonment, laboring through uh, the, the scorching sun, laboring through the plagues and the diseases, laboring through the, the bondages of the beast and the antichrist, laboring through the false prophets, laboring through the hellish times during the great tribulation. Those that labor, laboring, Everybody in this room labors. I'm not talking about sweeping the floor. I'm not talking about washing dishes. I mean, no, that's work. It ain't labor. Trust me, washing dishes is work. Blessed be God, they are dishwashers. Amen? Judy and I had three dishwashers. Actually, we had seven dishwashers. They quit us. But we got one plugged in that still works. Amen? Come on now. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're responding. Labor. Everything labors. The whole world convulses and labors. And God is trying to say, you say, well, give me scripture for that. How about uh, Jesus talked about in Matthew. Where is it? Matthew 16? I can't remember what exactly the chapter. You can look it up. I don't want to do all your homework for you. But anyway, Jesus Christ said, come unto me all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about all your work. He's talking about your labor, the things that really exhaust you and hurt you. Come, to me, come unto me, all ye that labor. He's speaking to lost people. Everybody labors. Lost people labor. Christians labor. And God says to them, blessed are those that have patience. Well, verse 12, here is the patience of the saints, perseverance. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, the faith of Jesus. And quit saying, my faith, my faith. You need to stop and start saying Jesus' faith. 
You ain't about to blow hearts bragging about your faith. You better start bragging about Jesus' faith. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, they that, that they may rest from their what? Labor. And what follows them to the judgment throne? Their works do follow them. So labor and works are two different things. Labor is everything you have to put up with in life and still love and serve Jesus Christ. Labor is everything that you, every adversity, every trial that you're going through, but yet you still love Jesus Christ and still work for Jesus Christ. Amen? Share Jesus. Watch works. Well, works would, could, some people would disagree with this, but some think works is teaching a Sunday school class. Some people uh, think works is preaching a sermon. Others think works is playing the piano or playing a guitar. Others think work is just coming to church. Just work. Well, you can call it work if you want to, but the truth is your good works are to glorify your Father which is in heaven. You're to let your light shine so they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're lit up by the fire and the light of Jesus Christ. And we're to let our light so shine before men. So our works follow us. But the labor is what gets us bummed out. We labor with depression. We labor with obsession. We labor with discouragement. We labor with uh, unhealthy thoughts. We labor with sickness. We labor with trout. We labor with heart disease. We labor with, with uh, uh, cancer. We labor with uh, hard times. We labor with, uh, uh, with cancer treatments. We labor with surgery. We labor with doctor's department. We labor with finances. We labor with uh, everything in life. We just labor, labor, labor. But Jesus Christ says, blessed are they who die in the Lord they shall rest from their labors. The thing we got to die in is not in our labor, but to die in our Lord. We don't want to ever die in sin. We want to die in Jesus Christ. And when we die in Jesus Christ, our works do follow us. Amen. I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit because I'm, I, I, I don't know how far I'm going to get into this chapter 14, but... I want to share the three possibilities of the 144,000. I already shared with what I believe. I believe the 144,000 are literal, called by God out of every tribe of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe. I believe the 144,000 are the same here in chapter 14 as they are in chapter 7. I believe that. The only thing I disagree with is a lot of people believe that the 144,000 in heaven, they're in heaven with the Lord here in chapter, uh, chapter 14. I don't believe they're in heaven at this place. You say, well, preacher, it says they sing before the throne and they sing their song before the elders. I know, but there's a phrase made in this verse 2 that says, and I heard a voice from heaven. So they must have been on earth if he heard a voice from heaven. So I think these same 144,000 that had the seal of God, the protection of God, they make it through the tribulation. They make it through everything. God protects them through the great tribulation. And in this 14th chapter, God is positioning them 
to go with him down into the valley of Megiddo into Armageddon war and they're going to usher in the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 of each tribe are going to usher in the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, someone says, well, I believe they're in, they're, they're in heaven. Well, if they're in heaven, they had to have died, and that's contrary to the seal. And if they're in heaven, then they, if they didn't die, they had to be raptured. And then you get weird interpretations, like in Revelation chapter 12, that the man-child is 144,000. That is a weird interpretation. There is no picture, there's no scripture in the Bible that talks about the 144,000 being raptured. So I believe that the 144,000 being the same as chapter 7, here in chapter 14, same, same 144,000, not 143,999, all of them are there at the end of the tribulation just as Jesus positions himself to take the mountain, to take Zion. I'm positioning myself to preach next Sunday, by the way. Going to take the mountain. Amen. Just as Caleb said, I'll take that mountain, Jesus Christ said to his father, I'm going to take that mountain. Now, when you talk about Zion, and let me share, I, I want to twist your brain a little bit. How many, how many ready to have your brain twisted a little bit? Okay, I'm going to twist it. He said, preacher, that sounds ugly. Yep, it is. The third interpretation or possibility of these 144,000, I don't believe they're in heaven, I believe they're on earth, waiting, they're safe and sound, waiting for Jesus to return. And here you have in the 14th chapter, the climax, the flare, the signal, the flash forward that Jesus Christ is coming before. And he just inserts this before the last bowls that are poured out upon the earth in the last coming battle of Armageddon. Now, if these 144,000 are two different sets of 144,000, which there are people that believe that, and they have a good argument. Number one, their argument is the 144,000 in chapter 7, the scene is on earth. But then they argue in chapter 14, 1 through 5, the scene is in heaven. In verse 3 of chapter 7, they're called the servants of our God sealed in their forehead. But then it talks about that they're, re they're redeemed from the earth. They have the seal of their father, verse, uh, ha verse um, 1, having his name and the name of the father written in their foreheads. They're singing a new song. 12,000 from each tribe, 140,000 of all the tribes of Israel. But no tribes of Israel are mentioned at all in chapter 14. So if you want to believe that the 140,000 are in heaven, then the ones in chapter 7 are on earth. If you want to believe they're the same, then I'm going to believe that they're still on earth because of the verse 2 says, I heard a voice from heaven. Sounds kind of unlikely that you'd be in heaven and say, I heard a voice from heaven. <laughs> kind of unlikely. But notice 12,000 from each tribe. So we know that these are literal Jewish people. 144,000 Apostle Paul's turned loose to preach the gospel. And there are literally millions of people saved through the preaching of these 144,000. And they had the protection of God to the whole great tribulation. But when you get to chapter 14, 
The scene is a lamb is with them on Mount Zion, having his name, Father's name, on their foreheads. In, in the, the 144,000 in chapter 7, they're just sealed. But in chapter um, uh, 14, it says they have the Father's name and the Son's name on their forehead. They sing a new song. In chapter 7, they don't sing at all. Now, notice it says in verse 3 of chapter 14, who were redeemed from the earth. These were redeemed from the earth. But listen. In chapter 7, they're redeemed from Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. Then you have, they're not defiled with women, meaning they're virgins. And that's not mentioned at all in the 144,000 in chapter 7. And so some would say, well, the first fruits of God is to the Lamb. This 144,000, which may be a different 144,000 that people teach, are made up of the special, empowered saints of God from the beginning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ until now, to the great tribulation. 144,000. That's almost sounds Jehovah Witness style, doesn't it? Almost sounds... Kingdom Hall stuff. But the only difference between Kingdom Hall is they believe only 144,000 are going to heaven. The rest of us duds are going to be on earth. That's their belief. But there are those that believe that these are Gentiles. That chapter 7 is Jews. Chapter um, 14 is Gentiles called out. And there's some argument to that because the Bible says he saw the lamb on Mount Zion Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 says, but you are come to under the mountain Zion, under the heavenly city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable company of angels. So you can almost see a spiritual significance to a group of people that's called into the holy city or into Mount Zion. Um, they find no fault. They're the first fruits of God unto the Lamb. In chapter 14, the first fruits of God unto the Lamb. But that's not a problem because if you look at chapter 7, the first fruits under God would be the first fruits of Israel being saved during the Great Tribulation. Told you I'd twist your brain. So if you, either way, if you believe that there are two 144,000, either way, if you believe there are two, there is still exactly 144,000. Either way, there is exactly 144,000. But I believe they are the same and not different. Now, you could argue the fact, well, why couldn't there be 144,000 of Jews, the first fruits? Why couldn't there be 144,000 of saints from the beginning of Pentecost to the end of the Great Tribulation? Why couldn't there be the first fruits of the Lamb of God and first fruits of the Israel? Why couldn't there be a Israel and a church? And there is. Why couldn't there be an Israel, the nation Israel, and a church? And there is. Why couldn't there be two? Well, there could be, but I disagree with it. Does that make it so? Probably not, but I still disagree with it. I'm not here to be dogmatic about it, but I just want you to know you need to be open to the Scriptures. And we look at the Scripture, obviously the description of the 144,000 in chapter 7 is different from the description in chapter 14. So that leaves an open door 
to possibilities that there may be a spiritual 144,000 made up of the Gentiles, the church of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that there isn't a multitude of saints with them because there will be. And it doesn't mean that only they have special privileges. It means that all the saints saints of the Lord redeemed in the blood of the Lamb have special privileges. Amen? But it says they follow the Lamb wherever He goeth. Now, my question would be this. How do the 144,000 Jews out of every tribe of Israel follow the Lamb wherever He goes? How do they do that? If they're on earth, how do you follow the Lamb wherever He goes? But if they're in heaven, in chapter 14, it's easy to follow the Lamb wherever He goeth. So there you go. I told you I'd twist your brain. I got it. Now you've got a brain Charlie horse. Amen. And in, 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 if you're not, if you don't have a brain Charlie horse, then you've got a Dale Charlie horse. But anyway, or Jerry Charlie horse, or Chris Charlie horse. But here's what I believe, and I believe it's true. I believe that chapter 14 is giving a picture of the 144,000 Jews that preach the everlasting gospel, they're still alive when Jesus Christ prepares to ascend, descend down to the earth and take over that mountain. He's gonna come in power. We'll hail the blessed hour. Jesus Christ is coming with his church. Revelation chapter 19, he's coming in power. He's gonna usher down. He's coming with 10,000 of his saints. He's coming to the earth and he's gonna touch down at Mount of Olives with his 144,000 waiting on him. Woo! And Jesus says to those 144,000, let's go, boys. We're gonna take the city. We're going to take the valley. And boy, they do. Is anybody getting stirred here? I'm getting stirred. Woo! You say, well, I, I, I don't know. Well, look at verse 14, and I'll see if I can get the I don't know back in you. So you'll know. Verse 14, and I looked, and behold, a white cloud Upon that cloud, one set like unto the Son of Man, that's none other than Jesus, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. That's none other than Jesus Christ. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, that is to Jesus, that said on the cloud, Please thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Mind you, Matthew 13, doesn't it? Verse 16, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, verse 14, 15, and 16 is the reaping of the wheat or the grain. It is the reaping of the saints, the saved. But in verse 17 through 20 is the reaping of the grapes, The overripe grapes, it is the reaping of the lost. Verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, 
which had power over the fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe, and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, where did the grapes go? Into the winepress. What happens? How did they squeeze out the grapes in the wine press? They took their shoes off. They stomped barefooted in the wine press. Well, when Jesus comes, he's going to be stomping and treading out the wine press. <laughs> Woo! Overripe, rotten fruit. And he's going to come. He's going to reap. And this is the reaping. And the wine press was trodden without the city. And the blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Now, that is 185 miles. Oh, preacher. Oh, preacher. Now we know that the Bible's not true. Because there's no way that blood can flow for 185 to 200 miles down Jehoshaphat Valley or Armageddon Valley, the Valley of Megiddo. No way it can happen. Yes, there is a way. Wherever God is, there's always a way. And you need to understand that this is not just the blood of men. This is also the blood of horses. We also need to understand that this is not just the blood of horses and men. This is also a deluge of floodwaters. So the waters will rush the blood down through the valley for some 200 miles to the horse's bridle. You say, oh, there it is, the horse's bit. No, the horse's bridle. So what's the horse's bridle? It tied around the little, you know, the horn of the saddle. I don't even know if they had saddles back then. But anyway, uh, when, you, when you're running, you don't have your bridle. Whoa! When the horse is running, you don't, whoa! The bridle's not solid when it's running. The bridle droops down and gets even as low as three feet to the ground. Now let me show you something else. Are you, are you getting anything out? Of, I, I don't want to preach too long. I'm, do I need to just quit? Anybody want me to quit right now? I knew I shouldn't have asked some of you. But anyway, <laughs> it's a dumb question. Um, Verse 20, and the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridle, by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Now, the scripture is very clear that when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, he's going to come. I think he'll meet the 144,000 Jews there, those great evangelists, and they'll go down through the... down through the valley of the Mount of Olives, there'll be a great upheaving of the planet. The mountains will rise up for the new temple in the millennial temple. There'll be a rushing uh, 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 flood waters row. The children of Israel uh, or Jerusalem will find their escape to Petra during this great battle. And as Jesus Christ comes down from glory in the battle with his bride, with 10,000s of his saints to meet the 144,000 on planet Earth to get her done, to get the job done, to conquer the, the devil, to take the beast and the false prophet and cast them into the lake of fire and to take the devil and bind him for 1,000 years and to set up a kingdom on earth 1,000 years, King Jesus will rule and David will be king over Israel. (laughs) 
How many of you feel like shouting? Let me show you something that'll make you shout. Go to, go to Ezekiel 38, 22. Ezekiel 38, 22. Let's back up to verse 19, Ezekiel 38. For in my jealousy, in the fire of my wrath, God is speaking, have I spoken surely in the day that there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground and I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord of God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood and will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing what? Rain. This is Jesus coming in the battle of Armageddon. Uh, overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire, brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord. So the blood will flow to the horse's bridle because there's going to be a rain involved as well. Hello? You want to shout some more? You're prettier when you shout. Isaiah 63. Go to Isaiah 63, verse 1 through 4. Who is that cometh out from Edom with dyed garments of brazon? This that is gorgeous in apparel, traveling in greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore, Art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the, what? The wine fat. I have trodden the wine press alone. In other words, I don't need help. And other people, there are none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. Where it says none with me, it doesn't mean that there won't be people with him. It just means there's none helping him. He doesn't need his help. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and, I will, and, and will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in, in mine heart and the year of my redeem, redeemed is come. This is the battle of Armageddon. This is the valley of Megiddo. This is when Jesus Christ comes. There'll be rain, there'll be fire, there'll be brimstone. And there'll be blood all over the garments of King Jesus. Like he stomps out the Grapes and the wine vat. His apparel is dipped in blood. Hello. Let me take you one more place so you can shout. Some of you didn't shout. I'm going to give you one more chance. One more chance to shout. Here it is. One more chance to shout. Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Heaven is open. Jesus Christ is coming to meet his 144,000 saints on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is Jerusalem. He's coming. He's coming in power. We'll hail the blessed hour. Verse 11, I saw heaven open, and behold, this is in chapter 19 of Revelation, behold a white horse, and he that sat upon it, he was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he did judge 
make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That's not his blood. That's the blood of the ungodly. Dipped in blood. That, you know, I, I used to see this and, and mistake it for the blood of Jesus, but that's not what he's talking about. In his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he shall tread out the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Yeah, hallelujah. That's what Revelation chapter 14 is all about. I want that mountain, I'm taking that mountain. And God comes down and sits on the Mount of Olives. The footprints of Jesus Christ had been there before when he went up to heaven and ascended to the Father. And he's going to come back and touch down at the same place. And the earth will rock and reel. And the earth will shatter. And the earthquake will come. And the cleaving of the mountains will tear apart. And the valley of Megiddo will open its mouth wide to the judgment of God. And God will roll down through that valley of Megiddo with his robe covered in the blood of the ungodly. That's the king of kings and lord of lords. Mm. Now I hope you have a better understanding of the 144,000. Because the 144,000 are Jews. According to chapter 7, they are Jews. And when Jesus returns, he's going to gather them up because they're not going to be dead. And they're going to go together to establish the kingdom on earth. The millennial reign. Isn't that beautiful? But before God does all that, he's going to send an angel. Fear God. Before God does all that, he's going to tell people, don't take the mark, you'll be damned. Before God does that, he'll tell people you'll, you'll, you'll have, uh, your smoke of your torment will ascend forever and ever if you don't live for God. Before God does any of this, he sends a shot across the bow telling humanity, there's still time, get on board, get in the winning team, get on the winning side, and let's get it going because I'm gonna cause the kingdoms of this world to collapse and the Babylon will fall. Uh, the religious Babylon will collapse in chapter 17. Uh, the spiritual economic Babylon, the political Babylon will collapse in chapter 18. Babylon the great is fallen. Jesus Christ is coming. And praise God, I'm excited. So don't let anybody tell you, well, the 144,000 is just a big number. That means, you know, whatever, you know. When you start doing that stuff, you can interpret the Bible any way you want to. Wrong. There's only one way to interpret the Bible, the right way. 
And I'm giving you the exact understanding. 12,000 from every tribe, meaning Jews. And if there is 144,000 in heaven, they're there. And they are just a reflection of the 144,000 on the earth. I still believe they're the same in chapter 7 and 14. But I thought I'd give you the options. Amen? Amen. Some of you, you know, you needed that option because you can walk off and say, well, I don't agree with the pastor. Bless God, I agree the other way. And some of you are saying that. And, and I've listened to preachers talk about, well, 144,000. That's not really 144,000. That could just be any big number. Well, question, why didn't he say 100,000? Why didn't God say 100? Why didn't God say a million? Why didn't God say 10,000? Why didn't God say um, a, a tree and a zillion? Why didn't God just say, a, 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 he said 144,000. Now, you get this? 12,000, chapter 7, listen class, 12,000 plus 12,000. 1,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe. Come on, listen, class. 12,000 times 12,000 is 144,000. What part of 144,000 you don't understand? So beautiful. The Bible is so beautiful. So incredible. Why is Josh come and bring us on? I ran out of minutes and probably patience. He said, "Well, why'd you share all this stuff about the three possibilities? Because you need to hear them. Because if you don't, if you don't hear them from me, you're going to hear them from some other flake. Not that I'm a flake, but you're going to hear it from some flake. Don't laugh at me." I love the Bible. I love the Scripture. And it's pretty easy. And when you look at the minor prophets and you look at the book of Psalms, in fact, the book of Psalms, chapter 18, even refers to waters in his return. Did you know 2 Samuel 22 even refers to the Lord coming in vengeance, even in the time of Saul and the coming anointing of David, that God would come and there would be water involved in raging hailstones, vapor and smoke. So get this out of your head that God's just going to keep saying, please, pretty please, come to, come to the, my son. Get this out of your head that it's some kind of, you know, you get to sugarcoat the gospel. Churches, are, uh, churches everywhere are just hearing a bunch of sugarcoated gospel. But my friend, I want to tell you that you will receive the Lamb of God that was crucified on the cross of Calvary for your sin and my sin. You'll receive His blood, His forgiveness, His power, His might, or you will suffer the wrath of Almighty God if you say no to God. Amen. Stand with me.